All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number six of Metalcore and Muscle. My name is Evan. I am going to be your host for today's episode. I hope everyone's having a great weekend wherever you're listening from. And for today's episode, I'm going to be diving into the question, does physical size impact vocal performance? I will also be answering five of the most commonly asked fitness questions. And today's episode will be rounded out with my pick for workout song of the week. So whatever you're doing, however you listen to podcasts, hopefully you are strapped in and ready for a great episode. We're going to start off today's episode with that question, does physical size impact vocal performance? So excuse me, in preparation for this episode, I tried to find some peer reviewed journal articles that covered this topic. If there were, you know, any actual scientific experiments conducted to answer this question. And in my research, I really didn't find anything. So I did resort to going to a kind of secondary source or a a actual website, um, more of a blog post. And this blog was posted on the website Open Mic, and it is by Gemma Saunders. So what I'm going to do is go through this article. Um, She touches on a lot of the questions that I would have regarding this topic. And we're just going to go through and basically I'm just going to read kind of what her take is on these questions and provide my input kind of as necessary as we go through. So I'm coming at this from the perspective of a personal trainer, a certified health coach, and a certified health education specialist, and um, just a a music and metalcore enthusiast. So I don't really know too much about singing, but um, I can kind of put my input in for weight loss and that type of thing. So um, let's get into it. So the first question on the article is, does body size affect voice? So body size could be like height, um, obviously weight, those type of things. So her response here is weight, height, and size can all impact your voice. She says, on average, taller people have deeper voices because they have bigger vocal folds and longer vocal cords. The general belief is that a taller singer... Um, that the taller a singer is, the deeper their subglottal resonance is. I don't really know what that means, but um, it says in parentheses here, there's more room for vibration in their larynx. So basically, if you're really tall, there's more space in there, which is going to allow you to have a deeper voice, which, you know, you could think of like, like the rock I think of as a fairly tall and large human who has a very deep voice as well. Um so I thought that was interesting. And they say that you know, the structure of your mouth and your, your jaw and your tongue can also impact your voice and um, uh, your, your weight, if you're overweight, can impact your breath control and your ability for chest expansion and lung capacity. So the way I kind of think of this is that there are some aspects of genetics that can impact how your voice sounds. Um, like your timbre and the tone of your voice. Um, But then weight can sort of impact your ability to actually perform and showcase the the genetic potential that you have with your voice. Obviously, height is genetic as well. So then they go into how does weight impact male singers being overweight? Um, So they say that if a male is overweight, they're going to have an increased production of female hormones And those female hormones may 
produce a more feminine sound to the the male's voice. And then likewise for female singers, if they are overweight, they may have an increased production of male hormones, which would lead to a, a deeper voice or a more masculine sounding voice. I think one thing that holds true for both males and females is that the accumulation of uh, visceral fat and the organs is something to be aware of as well. And that goes for everyone, whether you're a singer or not a singer. If you build up fat in the abdomen, which males are a little bit more susceptible to storing fat in the abdomen, um, that can lead to an increased presence of visceral fat on the organs, which really is not good for um, health outcomes. So those are things to be aware of as well. Um, The next question here is, does obesity change your voice? So they say that studies indicate that too much body fat limits the performance of your voice. Vocal range, voice quality, and vocal aerodynamics all deteriorate when you carry too much weight. Uh, Obesity doesn't just change your voice, but it can also change how you feel about yourself. So they say that obesity is linked to depression, which can lower confidence, and that can make it really hard to get up on stage in front of an audience. So in my Frontman Fitness Program episode, I do touch on this for if I was working with a um, lead singer for a metalcore band who is slightly overweight, um, having them lose weight and working with them to lose weight will improve their ability to perform on stage, but it will also make them a little bit more confident, especially if they're touring, having a lot of photos taken of themselves. But we also know that with some of these celebrities like Demi Lovato, that that pressure from people outside of the industry, paparazzi, that type of thing can can lead to eating disorders and a poor sense of body image where you always feel like you have to be super thin. So obviously, um, take these things with a grain of salt. You know, I think the the best recommendation here is just to be as a healthy body weight for yourself and focusing on fueling your body for performance um, vocally and, you know, um, performance on stage as well um, to be able to offer a great live show if you're touring, that type of thing. So uh, next question here on the article is, can being overweight affect your singing voice? So they say being overweight can take its toll on your body in numerous ways, Sadly, your ability to sing is one of them. So being overweight can um, limit that chest expansion. It can put extra stress on the body. It can um, reduce the endurance and impact breath control. So once again, you know, it's that performance and it impacts your ability to utilize your talent essentially. Um, So then they go into, does your voice change when you lose weight? And they say that you will notice changes in your voice if you gain or lose weight. These changes depend on how much weight you lose and how much you weighed to start with. So carrying too much weight hinders you your singing because the fat accumulates around your vital organs, making breathing um, very laborious, they say. Um, losing this excess fat can um, help with lung expansion and can allow you to practice better breath control, which would improve your endurance. So they include in this article, um, it looks like a linked video here and I'll, I'll link this article in the show notes as well, but it's, it's showcasing Adele, right? And so she's been kind of in the news a little bit lately in like the last few years about her epic transformation from being very overweight to becoming very thin. And I remember there being articles out there in the news 
you know, is she going to lose her, her vocal capabilities now because she lost all this weight? Is she going to lose her power and her voice, that type of stuff? And it sounds like, you know, her weight loss will only improve her ability to perform. Now, obviously, if you were extremely depleted um, and you're, you know, extremely exhausted, you know, maybe low blood sugar, that type of stuff, that that's going to impact your performance as well. Um, but I'm sure that uh, I would guess that her biometric numbers have improved and, you know, I'm, I'm sure she will only perform better now that she has um, presumably become a little bit more healthy. Um, but obviously weight doesn't equate to health necessarily. Um, so, you know, take that with a grain of salt as well. Um, the article goes into talking about body types and how, um, each body type sort of relates to singing or the best body type for singing. So the body types here are ectomorphs, mesomorphs, and endomorphs. Um, now I'm not sure how much research backs these body types. I have heard this classification system come under a little bit of scrutiny recently, but um, ectomorphs would be your quintessential hard gainers. So very lean frame to start out with and very fast metabolism. Mesomorphs would be, um, they're a little bit more susceptible than an ectomorph to gain muscle mass, but they also have a fast metabolism. And then an endomorph would be um, like an easy gainer. They can gain weight very quickly. They have a little bit of a slower metabolism. So they say that endomorphs tire easily when singing. Uh, mesomorphs have to be careful not to overengage their abdominal muscles when trying to sing. And for ectomorphs, um, they say that they're, uh, these lean singers breathe higher up in their thoracic system and tend to fall into the pancostal breathing technique or shallow breathing when, when performing their singing. So I thought this was really interesting. Um, just wanted to share this article here. Like I said, I'll link it in the show notes so you can go check it out. Um, but I think it just sort of backs up or, or, um, just backs up the claim that I think being the healthiest version of yourself and being at your set weight point, um, obviously BMI isn't the best indicator of, you know, health. We know that because if you have a lot of muscle mass, you're going to weigh a little bit more, um, so I think body composition is sort of the best way to determine that. And I've mentioned the in-body before as a scanning tool, but um, the in-body does provide a visceral fat number as well. Um, so visceral fat is important to look at. Like I said, it, it's what the fat that's accumulated on your vital organs. So I thought this was interesting. Um, take with this information what you will. Like I said, they don't really link any studies on here, but I thought this was an interesting topic to explore. And I hope you guys enjoyed that segment of today's episode. So what we're going to do now is move into these top frequently asked fitness questions. And I'm going to provide my response to these questions. So um, the article I'm pulling this from is on the website Sunny Health and Fitness. And the article is includes it includes 10 of the frequently top 10 frequently asked fitness questions. So I'm only going to answer five of these today. Um, if you guys really like this, let me know on my Instagram page at MC underscore muscle, and I can get after these, the second half on a different episode. But the first question here is, do I need to work out every day? And the short answer to this question is no, you don't need to work out every day. Um, for most people, the recommendation is 150 minutes of moderate intensity aerobic activity, 
um, per week. So you could divvy up that 150 minutes however you want. And for vigorous physical activity, it is 75 minutes per week. So obviously, um, that is just the aerobic portion. For resistance training, it's recommended to complete two days of resistance training per week. So while you don't have to work out every day, I think it is important to be as active as you can be um, with what's feasible for your schedule and your lifestyle. So what I mean by that is increasing your activity outside of the gym. So if you park further away from the entrance to a store or um, going for a walk while you talk on the phone, those type of things can um, add to your, your physical health but they don't classify as an actual workout. So that's something important to mention. So you don't need to work out every day, but I think it is important to be as active as you can be. Now for your actual workouts, um, you know, I think it all depends on the person as well. So if you are completely sedentary, you know, working out once a week for three weeks might be a great place to start to try to build that habit. And then you can start to go add in, you know, two days per week and three days and go from there. But, um, certainly you don't need to work out every day. The next question, number two is how long should I work out for? And once again, this depends on the person. Um, if you are a beginner at a completely sedentary individual, um, you can get a lot of benefit from just doing, you know, 15 to 20 minutes, you know, a a simple walk around your neighborhood, can be classified as a great workout if you haven't been doing any activity at all. Um, We know that sitting for a long period of time throughout the day can be detrimental to your health as well. Um, So adding in those little bits of aerobics throughout your day can can make an impact. Um, But I know people that, especially myself too, when I was first starting out training back in high school, I would work out sometimes for two or three hours. Um, Obviously, that's a little bit too long, but I think that you can sort of find a sweet spot that's based on your schedule. So I think that question, the answer to that is how much time are you willing to devote to training per week and per day? And then fitting in the, the best exercises for your goals within that time frame. And, you know, if you can only dedicate 30 minutes, then, you know, doing a quick warm up, getting in some great functional, um, strength training exercises in the middle of full body training, and then a short cool down and you're out. Um, it all depends on your goals too. If you're really trying to build um, muscular power and be a power lifter, you're going to need a lot more time in the gym because those key lifts are going to be exhausting. So you're going to need two or three minutes to recover between sets. So it really just depends on the person. If you're just trying to hit those recommendations, you know, you could do 30 minutes for your strength training days and you could do 30 minutes of aerobics five days a week and you've covered all of the base recommendations. But once again, it depends on the individual. If you are very sedentary, um, just doing 15 minutes or 20 minutes a couple times per week is going to give you some benefit rather than doing nothing at all. So, um, I don't think that people need to be spending three hours though. Like I used to in high school, but it all depends on your goals too and where you're at. So then the third question here is how can I increase lean muscle mass? So when, when talking about lean muscle mass, this is going to go into diet a little bit. So I do want to preface that I'm not a registered dietitian and I think a registered dietitian would be the best person to consult with as far as increasing lean muscle mass. If you really want to get like a set meal plan, that type of thing. 
But I do think there are some core tenets to this that are important to to focus on. And anytime that you're trying to increase tissue or increase um, size, then you need to be in a caloric surplus. And you know, you guys would know from my previous episode, I'm not a huge fan of you know really regimented tracking of calories. I think that it can destroy your relationship with food. But I do think that if you are trying to gain or lose weight, it, it does help to have an idea of how many calories you're consuming. And, you know, so then you know that this amount of calories is keeping me at this weight. And then you can adjust your intake from there, right? So you don't have to track everything to a T. But if you know that these foods that I'm eating are keeping me at this weight, then you can substitute foods out or substitute foods in to try to gain or lose weight while still meeting your nutritional recommendations. So when it comes to gaining lean muscle mass, I think it is important to be in a caloric surplus. So finding out how many calories roughly that you're consuming and and how many, like what meals are keeping you at that certain weight. And then from there you can make small additions, maybe increasing your plant protein a little bit um, to try to gain a little bit more lean tissue and being really consistent with that. Um, another kind of tenant or core tenant in increasing lean muscle mass is, um, training intensity and training, um, with the progressive overload in mind in your sessions. So what I mean by progressive overload, if you're not sure about this is progressively increasing the stimulus of your training when you go into the gym. So for example, if you're doing a set exercise, maybe three sets of eight, um, maybe the next time you go in, you try to keep the same weight that you're using for those three sets and then maybe go three sets of 10 reps for the first set, eight for the second, eight for the third. Um, another way that you could do that is to keep it at three sets of eight and then increase your weight for one of those sets that you're using. So what I mean by that is that you're continuously trying to either increase the weight to create a stimulus, or increase the um, number of sets or reps that you're doing just ensuring that when you're going into the gym that you're training with an intensity that's going to stimulate muscle growth and um, an intensity that is going to allow you to progressive overload, get stronger, um, and allow you to progress forward with your training. You don't, If you do the same weights and the same things every single time that you go into the gym, um, you will likely either plateau or you'll sort of get to a point where you can rep that out for 15 reps and you just need to add that new stimulus to gain lean muscle mass. But everybody is different. Um, it's all unique to the person. Obviously, um, I'm not going to know what to prescribe without a formal assessment. So kind of a long winded answer to that one, but hopefully it helps. Um, number four here is how much weight should I use when strength training? So, um, a lot of rep ranges get tossed around, when it comes to strength training, um, like anywhere from three reps up to, you know, 15 reps could be the rep range for strength. Um, I think it's all relative to the person, right? So if you're training at a very high intensity, like RPE, rate of perceived exertion, like eight to 10, and you're using, you know, 20 pounds or whatever, then that's, that's heavy for you. You know what I mean? So I think that when you're 
training for strength, if you have a set rep range, you want those last few reps to be a challenge. You want those last few reps to be um, challenging for you. You know, you don't want to get to a point where you're, if you're repping out a certain weight for 15 reps with ease, you're not even struggling on the last few, then that weight is a little bit too light and you should go up a little bit heavier. I think the general idea for this, I always think of a, like a selectorized machine with the, the pin and you can pull the pin and adjust the weight, right? So if you're not sure on how much weight you should be using, um, you could sit down on that machine, try a really light weight to start. Um, so towards the top of the stack and just try a few reps. If you feel like you, it's really easy, then you can increase it a little bit. Um, and those kind of trial sets at the beginning could be considered warm-up sets. And then once you find the weight that's right for you, then you do your three focus sets or however many sets you're going for at a certain rep count. Um, I think it's foolish to go in and try to do more weight than um, than what you think you might be able to do. And then that can lead to, to an injury as well. So obviously this is very specific to the individual, but um, you want those last few reps of your set to be somewhat of a challenge. And you, you know, you don't want to be doing like 30 reps with ease and you're, you're not even feeling it in the muscle. Like that's not going to be enough weight for you. So, um, give that a try next time you go in, if you're not sure what to do, um, start light, get a feel for it. You can kind of use those, those trial and error sets as warm up sets. All right, let's get into the fifth question here. And this is what training should I be doing to lose weight? And a lot of people think cardio right away, right? And you've maybe even seen those like fitness industry ads like, are you doing hours of cardio on the treadmill to lose weight? And trying to say that they have some secret to to weight loss. But um, yeah, I mean, cardio is definitely a a part of it. Um, You can burn calories doing aerobic activity. Um, And then you can also help facilitate weight loss by doing resistance training too. So we know that if you have a lot of muscle mass on your frame, your metabolism is going to be a little bit faster. Um, your body's going to need more to sort of fuel those muscles, if you will. Um, but I think another part of this in thinking of behavioral sciences is that you should be doing training that you enjoy because you are more likely to adhere to that type of training. So if you are trying to lose weight and you hate walking on the treadmill, then your, your time and activity and effort will be better spent doing something that you actually enjoy that is still classified as physical activity. So one way that I like to do um, to facilitate weight loss for my clients is to do more total, like full body, I would say, I, I call it functional training, but obviously functional training is kind of a buzzword in the fitness industry. But um, this full body training activates a lot of muscle groups but it's structured in a way that will help you to increase your heart rate and also hopefully have some fun with the session, right? So one of the ways that I would design this this type of training is similar to what I did in the Frontman Fitness Program, and that is like an AMRAP style. So maybe you have a few key strength exercises that you're gonna do before you do the AMRAP. So that might be like, you know, a suitcase deadlift or, a deadlift um, or a kettlebell squat or something like that, that you're going to focus a lot of energy and effort on. And, you know, those couple strength exercises are going to be great for increasing strength, but also adding that lean tissue on, which is going to help with um, increasing the metabolism as well. 
So then um, the, the latter half of the workout, instead of having my client go on a treadmill and just walk or run or, you know, whatever, jog, that type of thing, or do even doing intervals, I have them do an AMRAP. So as many rounds as possible. And I highlighted this in the other episode, but basically you pick four exercises and you have a set rep count that you're going to do each exercise for. And within that time frame, so like 15 or 20 minutes, the trainee will go through all four of those exercises as many times as they can. And they can rest as many times as they want or need to within that time frame. But you encourage them to move it at an intensity and a, a time that is, um, you know, moving fairly quickly, but still keeping great form and keeping it safe as well. And so the idea here is that they're working through these exercises at a faster tempo. And you don't want to, when you're programming this, you want to use exercises too that are, that are safe, that aren't going to be super exhausting. Like I wouldn't have people go in and do like an RP8 back squat as part of an AMRAP. It just takes too much time. It's exhausting. So you'd want to put in exercises that a client can move through fairly quickly. I think of um, like step-ups or, you know, like a goblet squat at a lighter weight than what they would use normally, those type of things. So they're still stimulating those muscles, but they're working at a, a fast rate and they're they're moving through a little bit quicker, almost like a superset or a circuit, and they're increasing their heart rate, burning some calories, but they're also facilitating um, and stimulating the muscles as well. So I know that there's some buzz in the industry about, you know, can you recomp, like lose body fat and gain muscle at the same time? Um, personally, I haven't done a lot of research into that. I know that there are some people that believe that with beginner trainees that they will start training and they'll lose body fat and they'll gain muscle mass as well. They'll respond really well to the training. So that this type of training would facilitate that as well, if that's true. Um, but I think it's a lot of bang for your buck. A lot of people don't have a lot of time to work out. You could do this AMRAP type of session very quickly. You're increasing the heart rate, you're stimulating the muscles, you're getting that resistance training aspect in as well. And then outside of that session, I would encourage my clients to be as active as possible. So parking further away from the entrance to those stores, um, you know, just getting up if they're sedentary and sitting a lot throughout the day, we know that can have detrimental health effects. So encouraging them to get up and move throughout the day, um, do stretch breaks every 20, 30 minutes if they're sitting in an office, um, walk around and take your calls. If you need to talk some, to somebody in the office, walk to their office instead of calling them, that type of stuff, right? So all of that, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis, also known as NEAT, all of that stuff outside of the gym will help with the weight loss in addition to those bang for your buck sessions in the gym that they're doing as well. But obviously this is all dependent and unique to each individual. If I have a client that's completely sedentary and they want to lose weight, I'm not going to start them off with this type of training. I would start them off with very small attainable weekly goals, like maybe two sessions of 20 minutes walking to start out and then slowly build on that from there. But I'm answering this question basically in like an ideal scenario. So hopefully you found those responses helpful. Those are the top five most frequently asked fitness questions um, and sort of my take on those. If you guys agree or disagree, um, once again, you can head over to that Instagram page at MC underscore muscle. 
Let me know what you think. And what I'd like to do to finish out today's episode is touch on my pick for workout song of the week. So I actually picked a song that's a little bit older. This comes from 2012 and it comes from a band that I have featured on the podcast before. And that is the band Memphis Mayfire. And this song is a sort of an intro track on their third album challenger. And this song is called without walls. And this song is a great kind of building song. They use it a lot on their, on their tours as a, as a um, opening song for, on their set list to really get the crowd hyped up. So definitely has a high energy. It's kind of a, the meaning behind the song is like about people that are, you know, haters and towards the band and that type of stuff. So the lyrics are somewhat motivating as well. And then it rolls right into another song called alive in the lights. It's basically about people saying that, you know, I, I think it was, I think Maddie Mullins wrote the lead singer. I think he wrote all these lyrics and my guess is that people told him at some point that, you know, he would never, you know, his music would never become anything. And they were very discouraging towards his performing or his music interests. So I feel like this song or this whole album really is kind of about following your dreams, no matter what people say um, and that type of thing. So if you have time, I encourage you to check out Memphis Mayfire without walls um, and have shuffle turned off so that it rolls right into alive in the lights. Both of the songs are great. If you listen to Without Walls, you got to listen to um, Alive in the Lights right after. So that is going to do it today for episode number six of Metal Corn Muscle. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Once again, head over to the Instagram page at MC underscore muscle. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Um, let me know what you'd like to see next or listen next. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Once again, thank you for listening.